0: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Fishing for Men with Mac show. All right. Good day, everybody. Welcome to the show that is about making disciples, which often involves dealing with the hard questions of faith and life. The title of this podcast is probably a little bit odd, but if you hang on, For a while, it will all make sense. It's basically entitled, One Afternoon with a Castrated Man that Changed a Nation. Uh, In a nutshell, I will be dealing with one of the major objections to the belief in God or um, religion, which is demonstrated by this statement. If I was born in a Muslim country, I would be one. That's one of the big arguments that have been brought up. And there's much to discuss on this. So to make it more focused, I will focus uh, in this podcast a little bit more narrowly on the African perspective however I hope that there will be some things that will be valuable to you as we go along and so every Sunday I teach a group of students uh, on the topic of reaching their friends and and family and whoever comes across their path basically it's about fishing for men and so one Sunday the study diverted a little bit from where we were going um because I was orig- originally teaching on the book of Galatians and um, but I was glad this topic came up as as they said look we want to talk about how to make disciples and so I challenged them to go home and to try to connect with one person at least that doesn't know Jesus even if it's a person not immediately in their lives and and to sort of ask the question to that person you know what do you believe in do you believe in God or, or any type of god or what is it you know can i talk to you about Jesus well anyways The first person that came back to me, I'm just going to call him M, you know, just not going to mention his his name is a young African man from one of our border countries. And he's the first guy that came back to me and he and he sent me some messages on WhatsApp and he and he said he tried to connect with some of his acquaintances. I'm not sure if it's family members or friends, etc. But they they sent him just three photos in response to his outreach to them with faith. And I want to read to you what those three, you know, it's one of these memes it's some of these meme photograph stories and so here they are this was the first one it's a it's a picture of a book and the title of the book is this how to make a negro christian and then there's a little writing at the bottom that says the following this is a book written during the slavery period in america by reverend dr charles colcock jones he was a major slave owner that owned three plantations he developed as a system to make slaves more submissive and easier to control by converting them to Christianity. Over time, his methods proved highly successful and became standard operating procedures for most slave owners. So you can already sort of get an idea that, that M's friends believe that Christianity was something introduced by the West towards... Uh, to. In, in the lives of African people specifically to control them. So Christianity was a tool used by some white folks to um, make better slaves of African people. That's the first picture. The second picture was this. It says religion. The world's most successful pyramid scheme. Every member rec- recruits their own kids. And so I think you're getting the gist of this. Um People have the faith that they have because they got it from their parents or it's because of the culture that they grew up in. We're going to talk about that. And then the third one is, you are a Christian because South Africa was colonized by Britain, a Christian nation. If it was colonized by an Islamic nation, you would be a Muslim. Your name would be Muhammad Aladlamini. So relax with your Christianity nonsense. Okay, I, I think those are quite cool. And in case you don't get it, um, I think the issues are quite clear. But just in case, let me let me summarize to you what is going on. Just some of the things that I'm picking up. Firstly, it seems to indicate these these photos he sent to me seems to in- indicate the idea that Christianity is a Western religion imposed on Africans, even in the days of slavery and also during the colonial eras. The point that These people assume is that Christianity is foreign to Africa. It is a form of faith that belongs to white people. So it came from America or Europe or somewhere. Secondly, if Christianity is true, then God is being unfair because people born in Christian countries have the advantage of growing up with the true faith. Whereas people in Muslim countries, for example, they don't. And therefore, they say that religion is just a cultural idea carried over from one generation to the next. And and I must be honest, that's a good and challenging argument. It's a good argument. And to show that this is not an, an uninformed or silly challenge that people pose, um, I've included a short clip of the debate between Peter Singer and John Lennox. Now, Peter Singer... Um, basically provides two reasons why he cannot be a Christian. And this is one of the arguments that he points out. And I'm, I'm not going to explain it f- for him. I'm going to play the clip for you so you can hear it yourself. Now, Peter Singer is an atheist and he's a moral philosopher um, that is well-known throughout the world. He's from Australia. And here he explains his argument quite well. Here's the clip. The first argument is
1: that... Um Although we may live in a society in which most religious believers are Christians, or since we're talking about the God of the Bible, let's group together Christians and those of the Jewish faith, Um, most religious believers come from from here, come from one of those two religions, and if we want to broaden this to the Abrahamic traditions, we can include Muslims as well. We know as a matter of, of sociological fact, that if they had been brought up, in other cultures with different religious beliefs, let's say in India, they would have been much likely, more likely to be Hindus. Or if they had been brought up in Islamic countries, the Christians and Jews would have been much more likely to be Muslims. So um, there's a kind of relativism about religious belief that should at least lead us to a skeptical attitude towards it. Is it just is it just a coincidence that John is a Christian when his parents were Christians? It's surely not just a coincidence, it's surely that cultural tradition which
0: made it easier for him to accept that belief. Now, I don't really want to go into this debate fully fledged now, but I also can't leave you without some sort of answer to that. And, you know, I'm not really going to try and give an answer, maybe just a few thoughts just now. But um, let me play you how John Lennox responded to that. And it's quite cool. So John Lennox is a is a is a Christian apologist and, and a scientist. And this is how he responded to that objection.
1: Brought up by parents who were Christians, I was indeed. Peter, can I ask you, were your parents atheists? My mother was certainly an atheist. Um, My father was uh, maybe more agnostic. So you're perpetuating the faith of your parents too, like I am? Um, (laughs) It's not a faith in my view. Oh, well, of course it's, it's a faith. Don't you believe it? I don't have faith in any being. I think the
0: point I'm making, Peter, that this is the genetic fallacy, as you well know. So John Lennox talks here about the genetic fallacy. You can go Google that. It will give you a better understanding. But let me explain how I see this. Just because your parents believe something doesn't mean that you will believe it too, right? I'm sure as you listen to this, there are some things that your parents believe that you don't believe. Now, I'm sure you have and I have too. I've met many preacher kids who don't respect the God of the Bible. In actual fact, the preacher kids are usually worse. It's often the case, all right. I've seen mainly Muslims whose children turn Christians. Iran, for example, at the moment is a Muslim nation, yet I wouldn't go. As far, I wouldn't hesitate to say that I think there are more Christians today in Iran than there are Muslims. And what about China and Korea? I mean, these are Eastern Eastern countries. The biggest church in the world a few years back. I'm not sure if it still is. is, is in Korea. The biggest church in the world is in Korea. So you're talking about China. who has got apparently the fastest growing church movement, underground church movement in the world. All right. So we, it, I think it's a little bit of a far stretch to say, um, because your parents are Muslim, you're going to be Muslim. We can change by vice versa. So So what I will be doing now is to, to not really addressing the second part that I've just spoken about, this argument in general. But I, w- I would like to talk about this issue of Africa and, and whether um, Christianity is a Western religion. Here's the questions that I want to ask. Is Christianity an African or a Western religion? Is it a religion from the white man or a religion from the black man? And so to start the response on these questions, I would like to tell you the story of a man by the name of Philip. Who about 1,980 years ago met a castrated man on a highway in the desert of Israel. Now before I tell the story further. um, Let me first explain where we get the story from. In the ancient Greek city of Antioch there was a governor named Theophilus. It seems like he became aware of the great growth of the Christian movement, especially in the city where he lived. And so he wanted to understand this movement and, and where it came from. Who are these Christians? This is Jesus? Who is this guy? And so it seems like he looked for someone who was intelligent and schooled enough to write an account of what had happened. What is the story of Jesus about? Someone who could do research. And so he found a man by the name of Luke, who was a doctor and who also had walked with Jesus. We're not sure exactly how the relationship was like and how they got to know each other, but you know i'm I'm speculating that this might be how they got into contact and and anyways, Luke would be a perfect candidate because yeah, you've got a person that's intelligent, that is schooled, and a person that has walked with Jesus. And so then Luke then goes and he researches everything. He went to go see the eyewitnesses and he wrote down a whole book about the life of Jesus. Later, he wrote a second book for the same guy, Theophilus. But this time it wasn't about when Jesus was living, but about when Jesus died. What happened after that? What happened to the church? What happened to the Christians? And that book they call the Acts of the Apostles. And so the story that I'm going to share with you today is found in the pages of that piece of writing. And what is interesting is that this account of Luke the doctor tells us how everybody at that time was focusing on taking the message of Jesus to the north towards Europe, to the west towards, you know, to Rome, you know, Italy today and all those places. And then suddenly, so, so Christianity is spreading from Israel all the way northwestwards. And then suddenly in chapter 8, we have the story which really is about going down south. Now, for in case you don't know where the world map is, south is where Africa is from the Middle East. And so let the story continue. And so, so Philip, 1,980 years ago, he meets this guy on the highway. and this, this, this was a castrated man, and he was a eunuch. So men were made eunuchs to fulfill a special role, and his role was to be in charge of the whole treasury of a queen. He was in charge of all the money of the whole nation. Well, of, of which queen? Well, the story tells us, Luke tells us, it's the queen of Ethiopia. Now, this was the land that lies south of Egypt. Today, it is the area that includes like parts of Sudan and Egypt and Ethiopia. The story says that the man had a chariot and he came to Jerusalem to worship God. So he was, he was some sort of a, a, a Jewish follower. And here's, here's the crux, ladies and gentlemen. He was a black man. He was on the highway to Gaza. He's coming back from Jerusalem on his way back down to Ethiopia. There he would go through Cairo in Egypt and then down to his home country in Ethiopia. It is in this highway area that he was sitting in his chariot and he was reading from the book of Isaiah. Now Isaiah is a prophecy of Jesus written 700 years before this. Now Philip was walking next to the chariot and he heard him read the text. And this is what the text says. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before a shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants, for his life was taken from the earth? And so Luke tells us that Philip asks this guy in the chariot, this eunuch, Do you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch says, well, how can I understand unless somebody explains it to me? And then Luke says that Philip climbed into the chariot with him and he started to explain to him from that very ancient prophecy at that stage, which was hundreds of years old, started to explain to him from that prophecy that it's talking about Jesus of Nazareth, the son of God who came to the earth, the Messiah who died on a cross in Jerusalem like a few months ago. And, and he told him this whole story of Jesus. And then uh, Luke records that the, the eunuch said to him, listen here, man, why can't I be baptized? Look, here's water. And, and Luke says that they got out of the chariot. They went down into the water and Philip baptized them in the name of Jesus. And those of you who don't know what baptism is, that's officially the moment that you decide that you're going to be a follower of Jesus and you sign up to be a servant of Jesus Christ, that you adhere to him, that you believe that he's the God of the universe. And so here's the first black African man getting baptized on his way to Africa. And then the text says that Philip basically went away and that the, the eunuch went on his way rejoicing. Now here this eunuch goes and he goes back into Africa. We don't know what happened to him. We don't have any record of what happens to him after that. And I want you to park that story. So here's this black African guy in a chariot. He's going through Cairo. He's going back down to Ethiopia. Now we're going to draw some lines to this. But I want, you to, I want you to park that story right there. And go with me quickly to the south of Egypt. To the area of Kush, Sudan, Ethiopia. And at some point it was called Abyssinia. They found lots and lots of writings from that area. That's 2,000 years old. So we're talking about just as old as the Bible. Literature about magic arts, magic spells, the worship of ancestors. Typical African stuff, you know, like the voodoo stuff and the, um, you, you know, the sangomas and that type of stuff. So, so they have this these writings that they find and it's written in the Coptic language. And then suddenly, suddenly in the historical records, in the, the diggings, they find... Suddenly all of these magic spells, they come to an end in the Coptic language. And suddenly they start digging up, listen to this, wait for this, copies of the Bible written in Coptic language. Somehow Christianity has made it all the way to Ethiopia. We don't know how this movement came about. We don't know how it all, uh, this whole Christian faith arrived there. But the only story that we do know of is the Ethiopian eunuch. By the third century, it was, the southern part of Egypt and Sudan and Ethiopia was a strong and powerful Christian movement. We have information of a solid Christian during this time living in one of the villages of this area. His name is Anthony. Now you can go read about that. You go Google Anthony the Great. Athanasius of Alexandria wrote a a story of this man's life. And let me tell you the story just briefly. He was born to Christian parents. Born in 251 AD. About 600 miles south of Cairo. He was zealous in attending church. He listened to the lessons. He wasn't capable of reading. So he listened to the people. uh, Talking about about the Bible. People during these times could not read. So... um, so there was lots of emphasis put on scripture, not the lesson or the singing of music, but the actual reading of scripture. Sometimes we take this for granted that we can actually go now and read the scripture for ourselves. He was convicted by the story of the rich young ruler. I don't know if you know the story of the rich young ruler, but basically uh, Jesus said, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions, give it to the poor and come and follow me. And the rich young ruler walked away very sad. That's the story that changed his life. His parents died before he was 20. So he gave all of the the estate, he gave it to to the poor, he gave it to the village, and he kept just a little portion for his sister's education. He sold everything after hearing that he should not take a purse with him when he goes on mission. He, He then left to devote his life to prayer and to become more like Christ. He also went on to go meet every holy man that he's ever heard of. He went to go meet them face to face to learn from them. Another major person in the story that is written about him is the devil. And the story talks about the evil spirits of Africa, the natural habitat where these spirits live is in the desert and in the tombs. It's where people don't go and where people don't want to go. The the devil tries to discourage this man, Anthony, seduce him and tempt him. There's spiritual warfare in his life since the time that he took on Jesus. So he decides to move away from the village and to go into the desert where the demons live. He challenges the demons in their own territory. He takes food and water with him. He's alone there. A host of demons then beat and torture Anthony. The people of the village then find him and he's almost dead. They bring him into the church. He wants to go back to the tombs. The animals attack him when he's back in the tombs. And these animals are obviously in the form of demons. The demons keep on attacking because he's afraid. The demons are afraid that other Anthonys will come Until his whole territory has been occupied. Anthony then lived up to 104 years old. In a while he decided to go live in a remote fort. He made a garden for himself, for food. And people from all over the world came to visit him and to learn from him. He was apparently so spiritual that animals didn't even come to eat the food in his garden. Now, this story has been recorded. It is hundreds and hundreds of years old. It's been preserved. They call him the father of the monks. This is a story that doesn't come from the Bible. This is outside of the Bible. Saint Anthony. Go Google it. But this story tells us a few things. That by 250 AD. Christianity was flourishing in Africa. Ancestor worship. The second thing in Africa. Is as old as Africa. And will always be a challenge to the Africa. Who doesn't believe in Jesus. Thirdly. Christianity reached Africa much earlier than 1652. Let's draw a line. You see, Luke stops his story of how the gospel spread west with the story of how the gospel spread south, south into Africa. I believe the first message of Jesus came into Africa through the Ethiopian eunuch, the castrated man whom Philip met on a highway in the desert. I believe the story of Anthony lines up with the message of the eunuch. As the eunuch went along, he spoke. By the time that Anthony was born, he was living in a place where churches have already been erected. It makes sense. The eunuch went down the same area where Anthony lived. But even more importantly, 700 years before the eunuch met Philip, Isaiah prophesied and said the following, Ethiopia will soon hear the message. The only early historical information we have of how the message of Jesus reached the heartland of Ethiopia is the story of Philip and the eunuch. It seems like the eunuch led a nation changing from ancestor worship to God worship. And so this one encounter that Philip had with a man in a desert led to a whole nation converting the oldest parts of Christianity is found in Ethiopia. Now I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. We can look at the story of the eunuch and Anthony and and say, so what? Well, here it is. The gospel reached Africa long before it reached England, Europe or America. These stories prove it. The question is not who heard the gospel first, but who responded to it first. But even if you don't like the stories, here are a few facts. And this might shock you. It was an African that helped Jesus carry his cross. Did you know that? It was a black man that helped Jesus carry his cross. His name is Simon and he was from Cyrene. You know where that is? That is in Libya. You can go read it in the Gospel of Mark 15.21. You can go check it out in Romans 16.13. When the churches were spreading and leaders were chosen to take the gospel to the world according to Acts, the church in Antioch prayed and they chose five men. Two of them were African. Lucius of Cyrene, and Simon called Black, or in some translation, literally, Nigger. You can read that, Acts thirteen one to 2 Within the first century, there were Christian burial sites, sites inside the Jewish cemetery at Cyrene, that is in Libya. The evangelist Mark apparently went to preach first in Africa. Most of the most prominent theologians of the first three centuries that shaped Western theology were Africans. I can give you the names. Tertullian, Cyprian, Augustine of Hippo, Clement, Oregon of Alexandria. The earliest translations, listen to this, of the Bible belonged to Africa. Ladies and gentlemen, the first translation of the Bible was done in Africa into the Coptic language. Latin was an African Christian vernacular. The church in Rome was still reading Greek. Augustine struggled so much with Greek he decided, no man, let's translate this into Latin. And so he translated it into the North African Latin, systematic theology, the commentary that we that we study the Bible with, textual criticism, those are all birthed in Africa. Ladies and gentlemen, Christianity was in Africa before the white man came and before Islam came. The goal of this show today was to clarify the fact that Christianity is not a white man's religion. In actual fact, when Christianity started, there were more black African converts than Caucasian converts because Europe hasn't really been reached yet. Therefore, Christianity is a faith of our African fathers. It is foolish to reject Christianity on the basis of it being a white man's religion. Because then you deny your own roots and your own history. Rather be honest. If you want to reject the religion, then give a good reason. Say things like, you know what, I don't like it and I like sin. Or I don't want to change my ways. I enjoy using women and stealing money or stealing drugs. That is why I don't accept Christianity because, you know, the moral requirements of Christianity is too high for me. I enjoy ancestor worship because it gives me freedom to have a few different wives. The second part of my conclusion would be just a short note on the issue of colonization. It is true that under slavery... People perhaps used Christianity to get things done and to manipulate people. And that is not right. That does not come from the spirit of Christ. And it is important for us that we identify between pure Christianity and people who use Christianity. To say that if Muslims came to colonize South Africa, we would have been. Muslims is not a good argument because I can give many examples. Um, You know, not every country that Britain colonized became Christian. Also, how do you explain facts like this? When Portugal colonized India, there were already Christians there. Some have said that the Christian, that Christianity in India is indigenous because it has been there for so long. And also, maybe just another side argument, it has been scientifically proven recently that the human race comes from one couple, the first couple that ever lived. This was tested through DNA studies by Mark Stuckel of Rockefeller University uh, in New York and David Thaler of the University of Basel in Switzerland. That research was in 2018. Now, if it is true that the whole human race comes from one couple and it is true that we all just follow the beliefs of our parents and the cultural conditioning of it, then why don't we all have the same faith if we all come from the same parents? Lastly, you might say, well, you know what? You're talking about Ethiopia and Sudan. These are all North African places. Um, you know, we are of the Bantu tribes. We are in Southern Africa and Jesus didn't reach Southern Africa. Well, if you go look at the research, the Bantu tribes, they migrated from Cameroon area. Go look on the on the map. That's way up in Africa. All the, the Bantu tribes, they come from, down from. From Northern Africa. If Christianity was already in North Africa. The question is this. Why did the Bantu people not accept the gospel. And keep it with them as they moved down. We must remember that there is a spiritual warfare going on. Also if you believe in African religion. How do you know your ancestors were correct? Are you just following in their footsteps? What if your forefathers heard the message of Jesus 2000 years ago. And chose to reject it. Are you just going to follow their decisions? or you're going to see for yourself whether it's true or not.